You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Well, it's episode 279. This is the last regular recording before we... uh Venture off into La La Land, but you guys won't know that because you're getting new episodes every week while Bree and I go get married. So enjoy, fuckers. Can't believe another month is over. I mean, this year is practically over. Yeah, it's flown by. Uh, COVID We're year in the number last, last quarter of the year. I just want everyone to realize this is COVID year number two because it was this time of year in 2019 when the first mentions of COVID of coronavirus were starting to pop up around China. And I remember pretty clearly in like, I want to say it was October, November. So October was the first numbers that like China had released. And then they were like, nope, we quelched it. It's over. We took care of it. And then they stopped releasing counts. Nothing to see here, folks. And then like (laughs) pictures were coming out of these fucking hospitals they were building in Wuhan. Yeah, like every overnight medical. And that's when I knew it was kind of serious. And I was like, hmm, this might be something to worry about. But my thought was... So SARS, the original SARS, they managed to keep pretty isolated to most of Asia. It didn't really uh, spread globally. Swine flu, same thing. Um, swine flu was not super contagious. Uh, it was. Don managed to get it, but. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> shitty. It was a pretty shitty flu, but it wasn't super, super contagious. And it was uh, contained. Yeah, it was contained. Uh, and then, um, uh, I think the spread of swine flu was, was much harder to do because it wasn't airborne respiratory stuff. Uh, and then, um, the MERS, uh, which was the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome that came out, um, that was very isolated and not super transmittable. Uh, and so initially I was like, now nah, we're fine. This thing's going to blow over by May. We can go to India, booked our plane tickets. And then as March rolls around, I'm like, this isn't a fucking joke. Like we see what's starting to happen in Italy at this point. Uh, and then in New York and I'm like, okay. This is serious. My big medical conference, everyone pulls out. The conference gets canceled. Uh, and and then people start being told to work from home. And we closed down for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, two weeks. A year and a half yeah. later. We closed down for two weeks if you worked in a normal fucking office. If you worked in a restaurant or a bar or the entertainment industry. Months. Or you were a gig worker like an Uber driver. It was... Months. It was almost. A, it was. It was a year. It was enough to put a lot of people out of business. Yeah. Sadly, and so you and know, force and force the the employees of places that didn't technically go completely out of business to find other work. Well, in, in a prime example, Hawaii, where we're going, where they've asked people not to go. So don't worry about that. We're still going. We're going to get married because I've been planning this for a couple of years. Um, but Hawaii uh, completely shut down, and the island of Kauai, where we're going shut down even harder than the rest of Hawaii. They had a 10-day quarantine requirement if you went there. They didn't give a shit about the safe travels program with the the negative test. Um, then they had a resort bur- bubble where you could stay in a resort until you had a negative test three days after you arrived. It's finally um, just now, just now getting to where... There's still some hoops to jump through, but it's... Well, and I mean, there's good reason for that, right? Kauai is an island of 70,000 people. That's a very small number of people. The population of Kearns, I want to say, is like 40,000. Uh, so Kauai is not a big island. It's very small. They don't have gigantic medical facilities. There's a couple of hospitals, but it's not. They're, they're more akin to our Instacares than like they are actual clinic. Yeah, they're not. Or some of the, or, or more like a rural. Yeah, like, hospital. like, like the hospital down in Nephi. Like Fillmore right, or something. Fillmore. Yeah, where they have, they don't really, they're not really there for ma- major traumas. They would still life flight people to probably Honolulu, I would guess, to have like serious, like they can do normal surgeries and stuff there, but, uh, they, they really would fly people for major traumas, probably to Honolulu type thing. Uh, so there's a good reason. They, they really closed down their borders, but that also meant that all of their industries just completely went to shit. So much so, and I think it's worth talking about a little bit, you know, when we were going to Hawaii, we were looking at things like, for instance, horseback riding, something that a lot of people that, that we're going with wanted to maybe do one morning. Yeah, that was top of the list there originally. Were, in Kauai, there were, at the time uh, before COVID, three operating horse ranches that did 
the different horse adventures, like, you know, you go walk around the ranch or around the mountains or whatever. There's now only one in operation. So two of them have had to close. And it's now just like for lessons and stuff. They're yeah, not, they're doing... not really doing any kind of tours. Uh, a lot of boat companies that did tours around the island folded. Um, and that's a, that's a big deal for those things to fold. And this is just Kauai, like the rest of the Hawaiian islands suffered the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of restaurants that went out of business because they rely so much on tourism. Uh, there are quite a few other activities and things that, you know, they were, they were completely shut down and then severely limited. Uh, and you know, the, the these are people's livelihoods that, that were completely destroyed. So if you, but if you're a mom and pop, and you pretty much survive month to month. I wouldn't say week to week, but month to month, maybe quarterly. Yeah, you might have a, a couple months that you can make it without it, but otherwise you just got to find something else to do. And yeah, you're done. Unfortunately, it's sad. So, uh, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of like sadness there because that's, that's really not what we're going to do this episode. It is our historically significant place week. Uh, it's the last week of September. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about I think one of the coolest things about Utah, uh, it's certainly one of the most unique things about Utah, uh, and that is the the salt flats, uh, specifically the Bonneville salt flats, but I think we can talk about them as a whole in a lot of contexts. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, uh, I wanted to talk uh, about, we went to Cecilia Mia. Uh, we took John and Jody out. They have birthdays that are like a week apart. So Bri and I decided to take them out to a nice dinner for their birthday. So we went to Cecilia Mia. Um, don't try to go there if you don't have a reservation, by the way. Where's, where's it located? So there's like four of them around the Wasatch Front. The one in like Salt Lake County, it's up on Highland and 45th. So you know where the, there's a grocery store there. I think it's a Macy's now. And oh, yeah. You know where the old Quiznos used to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's right next to the old Quiznos. Gotcha. Um, and it's, they used to just be like a pizza place years ago, but it's there in that strip mall and you would have no idea that it was there if you didn't know what you were looking for, essentially. Uh, and, uh, cause, and, but you walk inside and you're like, oh, I'm in a nice restaurant. Like it doesn't feel like you're in a strip mall. It's really, it's really weird. Like it was completely, the experience for me was completely captivating, which I think says a lot about what they've done inside the space, uh, with the like half curtains they have, like the Italian style window covering type thing that what, they do. And what was that really cool Italian place, uh, over here by you in Jordan Landing a few years ago, but it closed Similar kind of thing. It's, I can't remember what it's called, but I wish I could remember. In Jordan Landing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like on the, the far end, and then it became the Crab Shack or something like that after. But originally. Uh, that's not a cool Italian place, dude. The original one was. No. Like way back when. You're talking about the Cucina, the house, the Italian? Yeah. No. That one was cool. That's a major chain. Well, it was still cool. I don't think it the way was. It was that decorated. Cool. Nah, maybe I'm thinking of it. It was like, place. uh, uh, not the Cucina de Beppo or something like that. Something no, it was, like that. It was anyway. Cucina something. But I, it was a national chain and it wasn't that good. Maybe I'm thinking something It was else. the one that Don liked to go to it. Anyway, anyway, anyway. we digress severely. Uh, the one next to the Chili's <laughs> over there. That's just a like a Indian, Indian Italian villa shack thing. Uh, anyway, so Cecilia Mia, um, and they've won best of uh, Utah stuff. And they're the ones that do the Carbonara Inside, they finish it off inside the half wheel of Parmesan. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's so good. So when Jess and I went to the City Weekly awards oh, yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. like two um, years ago, yeah, they were there, and I and they were giving out like plates of it, um, and you know, but it just you know you don't have the atmosphere and everything. So I was really excited to try it there, and it didn't. It didn't disappoint because they, they come and they actually light the plate on fire, warm the plate up, and then they, uh, they light the wheel to so melt they, the cheese. They put some nice, like, flammable oil in there. Uh, and yeah, they light that stuff up with the flammable oil. And that, the, the dog. S- sorry, the dog is licking our feet and we're trying to distract <laughs> her. Um, so they, they, they lit it up with flammable oil and, and, and they warm up the cheese and then they mix, the noodles and stuff in it, and then they do this really cool swirly thing, and then they scrape some of the cheese like they, into swirls, and they put it on they top. They actually do two different dishes, and I think one is done in that. I thought th- they might both be done in the same Parmesan wheel. Uh, one's a carbonara, so it's the traditional like egg yolk, uh, pancetta, uh, a spaghetti type pasta, 
Uh, and then the Parmesan, obviously, like that with the pasta water creates this really rich, creamy, delicious sauce. That sounds so good. And then they also do basically a buttered noodle. So they'll do, it's a, it's a spaghetti noodle that they put butter and pepper in and then they finish it off inside the wheel. So it gets the, a lot of the Parmesan. So you're missing the egg and the bacon that the carbonara has, which is, the whole point you have carbonara, it's egg and it's the richest, most delicious pasta. But that being said, we also had a big charcuterie board, which was amazing. They had like one, they had mortadella on it, which almost no one ever puts mortadella on a charcuterie board. It's a, it's a fantastic Italian meat. Um, they had artichoke hearts and grapes and fresh mozzarella. There was a jelly and, on there. Oh, a jalapeno jelly. You see those a lot. No, no, no I don't know no. what jelly it was, but it was good. Yeah. I think one of the best charcuteries we ever had was at the top of the tower in Seattle. Mm, yeah, that the, was a really was it good the Walker. One. What is it? The, the Walker Tower. The Walker I think, Tower. Yeah. That was amazing. And maybe it was just the night and the ambience and the lights. Well, it might I have been the Smith Tower. I don't remember. Something Tower. But that was, that was, that was a good charcuterie board. charcuterie board. And then, uh, like, we uh, had that one from, uh, Carmi. Oh, yeah, that was really good. That was pretty good. I had this, um, this, uh, Taglatelli pasta with, uh, their ragu that they do with their lasagna as well, which is a eight hour, uh, uh, cooked ragu with, um, Veal and sausage and um, uh, beef in it. Man, that sounds And good. it was so good. It was amazing. How many gallons of milk did they say go into that Parmesan wheel again? <laughs> 200 gallons. Yeah. Wheel. And the wheels are, I mean, the wheels are $6,000. I was yeah. going to say, that's the wheel that we were looking at getting you for your they birthday. Do it, they do it in like a half, so they cut it like, an, uh, anyway. We were looking at getting you a cheese wheel a few years ago, and yeah, when we found out the prices, we're like, ah, the, no. Yeah, Parmesan cheese wheels are not cheap. <laughs> well, and John got the lasagna. The lasagna, and I think he was very happy with that. Ah, uh, yeah. Well. So they do the lasagna. It's the same ragu that that I had, but then they also do a bechamel as well for the layers. So, like, you know, when I make lasagna, it's typically like ricotta and spinach and stuff in one of the layers, but they do a bechamel instead. No, that's a Heather. If you had Heather's lasagna, it's really good. But she does the ricotta so. and and basil yeah. and mm-hmm. and mm. I usually do like spinach and parsley in mine, and she'll usually do a. Uh, Right out of our garden, she'll go right out to the garden and pick the thyme and whatever mm-hmm. else. She that's puts the best in way it. to do it, man. Fresh herbs. That's so all. Good. All of the sauce that I jarred, that's all fresh herbs. There's no dried herbs in that shit. It's all fresh oregano and basil. But it was fun because you know the the I I don't know. I guess the manager for the night or whatever came over and he's like, "That's a big charcuterie board." You She's know, like, I don't know. We if don't think you guys are gonna be able to finish. You it. know, and then he came over and like <laughs> clapped when we finished eating it. I mean, it's just like there was an atmosphere. It was cool. a really good. I would. 10 out of 10 recommend it, especially for a date night. It's not the cheapest. It's a really pricey restaurant, um, probably. In fact, John and Jody said that they would help uh, supplement a, a date for like Truman there. Yeah. Just because the atmosphere was so fun. And Truman appreciates that kind yeah, of stuff. He, like, he's a he's a foodie. And so they he, would, he would actually like, have to talk to a girl, though, to have a date. Truman talks to girls, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. he must. But. <laughs> uh, I would recommend it. I, I think with, uh, drinks, uh, we did salad and appetizer, um, and all of the different dishes. Uh, it was about 50 bucks a person, give or take. Um, that's not too, I mean, that's, that's up there, but that's not. No, I mean, no. it's not, I, I mean, it was definitely reasonable for, for if you, well, if you go and get a steak, it's going to be more. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause their steaks are around 45 to $50. I was going to say a but, good steak, you're going to pay. And they're, they're Italian styled. So, but, Go there for the pasta. Absolutely go for the pasta or, you know, what I, I'm kind of disappointed I didn't do this. Like I thought about doing their, their, uh, white wine clam spaghetti because I love that oh, dish man. when you can, like I've, the best stuff I've ever had was like on the New Jersey coast and the clams and stuff were fresh out of the ocean that day. Like it's just so good to have like clams and that white wine sauce. Oh, but so I'm sure there's, I'm sure their seafood is really good as well, but that, the carbonara, I was like, well, I don't want all four of us to have carbonara, so I'll get something different. I'm kind of disappointed I didn't just order a meal, whole plate of carbonara. <laughs> it is so yeah, unbelievable. Jody and I shared our carbonara with the with the guys. It I mean, they so shared good. their dish too, but Jody and I preferred the to just eat our own and share that's a little. The, that's the best way, especially with, if you're in a group of people that all get along and yeah. are okay to share. Everybody gets something different, and then, then everybody can, can try. Kinda... And I, I would love to go back and try. Like the raviolis looked amazing. Like I really would love to go back to that place. So, yeah. glowing review from me for Cecilia Mia. I think it's worth 
mentioning. Um, also, like we said, they're, they're, uh, they've been voted best of, uh, best Italian with City Weekly. Um, I think a couple different times. And right now, if you go to cityweekly.net, there's a best of link right on the website and you can go vote for what you think is the best of Utah. Um, and it's everything from person and newscaster to food to bars. Uh, there's write-in stuff if you missed stuff. Uh, and so uh, I encourage everyone to go vote uh, for our best podcast. Go ahead and vote for the New Utah <laughs> podcast. Um, Julia wants you to vote for her. Um, she's not going to say anything, though, about it, so I'm just going to leave it Jesse's at that. Jesse's going to sit there and shake her head so that nobody can see it. <laughs> I nodded. I'm trying to be nice. Yeah, nobody can stuff. see you. Vote not the so Pleiadian right. altar for the best metaphysical story. You'll have to type it in manually at the end for other. And how do they spell it? P L E I A D I A N A L T A R. And uh, then you can you can vote for Julia's company. Uh, and you can write in Salt City Home Designs. Yeah, there you if go. You want for I best know, architecture? I know I did, so yep. I got at least one vote. Right. Yep. So honestly, the write-in thing, if there's enough, so we've talked to the City Weekly guys quite a bit about this. We've had them on the show a couple times. You know, obviously we still content from, that's why I'm wholeheartedly promoting their stuff is we steal their content, uh, at least for two to three episodes a year. Um, but you know, in talking to them, the write-ins, the write-ins do a couple things. One, if there's a lot of the same write-in, then oftentimes the, the, whoever went, like whoever has that, actually they promote them as a, as a reader's choice. But also the write-ins give them a whole bunch of content for all of the editor stuff. Cause the, yeah, cause the staff writers, they, they find their own things and their write-ups and that's where we've gotten both of our awards from is, is from staff writers. Staff picks. Um, and so if they see something coming in that's maybe not going to win the most popular or something, but like there's enough people, they're like, what is this stir about? Yeah. What is this? And they'll, and they'll go look them up yep. and then they'll decide if they're good. So your website shouldn't suck and you have to spell it right because otherwise they don't know how to fucking find the Palladian altar. <laughs> Pleiadian? Right. It's yep. not even Pleiadian. Pleiadian. See, I can't even fucking say it right. I that's why I was trying right. to get. Yeah. It's all right. It's a weird word. It's but, the name of a planet. <clears throat> Pleiades. Pleiades. Or a star constellation. What god owns Pleiades? Not Mormon. Julius. Mine, I guess. I don't know. Julius God. I don't worship any gods. Not Mormon Jesus. (laughs) It's a Wiccan Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a female. No, it's a a planet where light workers are believed to originate from. It's probably a female god. Yeah, they're lazy. They do light work only. They're blue. (laughs) Blue people. Light work only. We do light work only. I want a planet planet with lavender people, please. I'm sure there is one. That's, I'm sure there somewhere. is somewhere. Yeah, it's it's ruled by the lilacs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Lilacians. Yeah, Lilacians. I specifically said I want it to be lavender, so I feel like it's probably the Lavendorians. <laughs> probably. No, that name's not as cool as the Lilacians. That's a great name. <laughs> I disagree. That's like a Star Trek episode right there. Well, that down, Both like. of them. It's the lo- the Lavendorians versus the Lilacians because oh, nobody had, can tell the difference between their purples. That They have had a long-standing battle. They're destroying their solar system, actually. <laughs> they have fucked up a bunch of moons. It's Our like, purple is better than your purple. And Captain Kirk will sleep with the most beautiful Wallachian <laughs> ever. <laughs> he actually brokered a peace deal because he had a threesome with a Lavendurian oh, and a Wallachian. Yeah. And they're now they're each having his chi- half of his child. <laughs> but they can't come out purple. What's what's white and purple if you mix white? They're not it's, white. It's, they're both shades of purple. No, dude. no. Yeah, Captain Kirk. Now his genes don't get expressed. They're all. It, it wouldn't matter. They'd just be a light purple, which is what lavender and black are. He's either sterile or he's got millions of kids. That's like asking. The galaxy. That's like asking what color comes out if you mix white with pink. Pink. Mm-hmm. Pink true. comes out. Just a different shade of pink. Just lighter pink. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still so lighter pink. purple, so it's a whole new race. Yes. Yeah. It's it's the it's the Kirkians. Kirkians. It's, no, it's the Tiberians, and then Ty goes there, and he becomes their leader. No, it was good, and then we've just ruined it. <laughs> the Lav- Lavendarians versus the Lilacians was good. I look I think- up lilac people. I'm just getting some weird Sonic the Hedgehog fan <laughs> fandom thing. I don't. Okay. Uh, we wanted to tell you guys as well about, uh, the, the Utah Body and Soul is doing a special event on October 14th. Yes. Uh, they're having all the, all the reps are coming out, the drug reps to do vendor stuff for, 
I shouldn't call them drug rubs because it's not all drugs. Some of it's like like semen based face creams and yeah. Botox yeah. and um and the fetus and, based creams. Yeah, the, the stem cell based. Okay, butt creams. we're trying to promote this. <laughs> I don't know. The, look, all of the things that are for beauty enhancement, all the lotions and creams and pills and injectables, they will all be on full display. Um there's uh, a few different things they're doing. They're doing are they doing raffles and crap too? I I, Probably, don't know. I would probably be. Probably. But the first 25 people, the RSVP, get membership pricing on everything that's so available. So I would do that now. Don't wait on that. See if you can get in on that first RSVP yeah. pricing. Then you get good pricing on, on well, you know, cool, like cool sculpting. Injects, injections, uh, massage, whatever. They do just, everything. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. Um, just look for our episode titled Botox, uh, yeah. and that's uh, we talk about a lot of their services. So with Ariel, she's she's super cool. She's super nice. Um, call her about very any knowledgeable. Of these Re- really good place. Like that's a really good thing to go to on the fourteenth if um, you've ever wanted to maybe talk to someone about those things and you're not sure. That's a really good yeah. open they do place. Free consultations. Yeah, Julia's I've got, got a free, one yeah. scheduled. Free consultation for the cool sculpting, just to see what it's about. Yeah, know. and they will be able to talk to you about a lot of that stuff at this uh, this little fair thing that they're doing. So, yeah, uh, definitely go stop by that event RSVP first because you could uh, get some really great deals by doing that. So, uh, I don't I don't know if I have anything else before we jump into our other our. Uh, Julia's got cards, but oh, I've yeah. got so oh, I yeah. just have an update on Operation here, Kitty Kitty. So I now have three neighborhood cats frequenting my yard at night. I have not seen a rat in about a week and a half. Woo-hoo, yeah, but that does. Can. It's also cold. That doesn't mean anything because your rats they they travel between houses, so you might be so in a dead time. What I'm hoping is they've traveled to the other places, but because I've got <laughs> the neighbors can deal with them now. Yeah, exactly. But because the cats are lurking around at night. That they're not coming. They're, they smell them, and they're so like. So they're oh, not eating the cat food that you're feeding the cats. No, and I and I know this because last night, um, Rocky and I were out at the fire pit because it was a nice evening, and we're down to the last few nice nice evenings. So we had the fire pit going and just kind of out and enjoying it. And Rocky perks up and goes running, and two cats come out from behind. And the they're shed. like, "Oh, dude, we could take you." Oh yeah, they they're bigger than he is. I mean, it's like Rocky. If, if you're really gonna like draw that, they line, looked at him and were like. So one more notch on the belt. They sauntered off. Like the cats didn't run. They like made their way over to the fence, hopped it. Obviously not scared of him. Walked away. Well, and he because he got close and stopped. And he was like, "Oh wait, oh. I'm outnumbered. <laughs> Those these guys are bigger than me." It's like I'm throwing down, but I don't think this was a good idea. Anyway, <laughs> point is, I went over to get Rocky back because I want the cats in our yard, and the cat food was gone. So I know it is, and I had just filled it maybe 20, 30 minutes before. So, so it is. So it's the kitties and not the rats it that is are eating the it. Kitties eating. So I have no doubt there are still rats wandering around my neighborhood, but I'm hoping they're staying so away. This is from, limiting the extent that they come into your yeah. yard. So, and, and then what I also do is I move the kitty food bowl around to different spots in the yard. So it's not just in the same spot. So I, I, I don't know. I'm hoping it's working that my, here, kitty, kitty, cat patrol is helping. It is a double-edged sword, though. If you feed the cats, they might not go after the rats. It's true. So at I, least they'll see them. Well, but I don't feed them. I, well, or, I'll, or they'll scare off. The also, rats. I feel like the rats don't come around because they're chased by a cat, but more because they smell that there's a cat. Could Sick. be. Could I be. don't know. They need to start shitting in your chip, chicken coop. It'd be good. <laughs> so though. Have not cat seen turds. a rat in probably a week and a half to two weeks. So I will say this. If you're going to start feeding those cats, which you have, you've got to feed them through the winter. Oh, yeah. Because if they die, that's on you now. You'll be a cat killer. Cat killer. <laughs> because they've become, they're going to become reliant. It's like when you, when you feed birds, you have to feed them through the winter because, because they become they, reliant they, yeah. on your food source and that's don't. That's all they got sometimes. And, and then they end up staying instead of migrating oftentimes and they'll die because you don't feed them. So when you find little dead frozen birds under your trees, that's your own fucking fault, people. So what? So there's, there's a spot in the chicken, back part of the chicken shed where the cats can get in. So what I'm going to do is I want to start setting up the food inside so that they're actually coming in. So if there are any rats inside that they're keeping them out. So I don't know. We'll keep, we'll, we'll, we'll keep at it. We'll and hopefully see. they don't go after the chickens. Well, I've, I think there's so many chickens, though. Too. Like, 
doesn't matter. Given the chance, the number was... of chickens didn't stop Ebo from ripping a wing off one of the fuckers. Yeah, but Ebo was kind of dumb. But it, we've talked about it before. A single chicken, maybe, but when it's the whole yeah. flock. I think that the animals, like especially like uh, feral animals, they they get a like they understand a hierarchy. I don't know. I don't but know, I've, man. I've seen how big those rats are. Those cats might understand the rats are bigger. Those are big rats. But I've I've seen the cats inside the coop before because I've opened it up before and it scared the hell out of me. A cat comes running out. So I know they've gotten in there and they haven't killed any chickens. Okay, that's good. And like I say, with all 20 of them right there. It's also tough for them to get into the actual part yeah, of where the chickens are. Yeah, that's all that are. stuff. Yeah, it's got a bunch of chicken wire, which is too small for cats to get through. Right. So anyway, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Not an octopus, though. That fit right through that fucking wire. And then punch them. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Why would there be an octopus in a chicken? Why room? wouldn't there be? Because there's no water. In front of Cthulhu. Uh, so uh, <laughs> today is uh, shit is going down with your job. Oh. Reevaluate, change your spec perspective, or fucking quit. This is like the perfect <laughs> card for me. <laughs> I mean, go. I'm not going to quit my job. I don't feel like it's for you. No, but I'm just saying, like, that's kind of... Honestly, this is how I run my life. The philosophy in terms of, like, my job is, like, shit's going down. You either need to fucking figure stuff out, look at it a different way so you're not as pissed about it, or find another fucking job. Like, that's how my week's been, because I... As always, every time I go out of town, contemplating Walmart again, I send out the two week notice to all of my clients and then they all freak out. I've got clients who have been dragging out the design phase for three months, but you say you're going out of town and all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. It's so just like this week. End of the world. That's why Brie got her write ups done before I did. I just, yeah. So it's, it's been a rough. I just week. didn't want to happen what happened last time where it was like two weeks or I had turned in all of mine and it was all being held and it was up. all being held up because i hadn't yeah. done mine i usually try and do mine the same night but sometimes it doesn't happen i'm just tired and uh, overall i would tired. say the last four five six months we've done really well at like keeping up with them and getting them written in a timely manner yeah, until it becomes my turn and then they're <laughs> yeah, you're slightly busy though so well this month's been a little weird with all of our pre-recording for hawaii i'm like I just did too. Oh yeah, but I guess I feel like there's so much work that I've done in this last week. <laughs> like it's been a lot. Because um, in the last seven days we've recorded three month, podcasts. We've no. done a month's worth in the last yeah. like, week and a half. We've done four, four in two weeks. It's insane. Oh, that's right. Because we did Brighton on Monday. Yep. Yeah. Four. Four in, in week, less than in seven week. days. Yep. Yeah, less than seven days. Four in six days. That's normally <laughs> that's a month. month. That's a, yeah, that's a month's worth of shows. Uh, we can do it though. We're on the last one, so even though it's going to be the first one of all of them that you hear, it's the last one. We're <laughs> it's recording. the last one we're recording <laughs> because we decided to the magic of give well, Jeremy a a week break before he actually heads out because I'm sure he's going to be pretty bombarded and it'll actually help Chris but in this the long run too. This one's pretty close to when we normally would record anyway. Yeah, so. just a couple days early. Uh, and and really the focus now for the episode is going to be. The salt flats. So it's historically significant, Utah. Um, each each month at the end of the month, we do something special. And this year, it's been talking about a historically significant place. So we've talked about, you know, um, the internment camps. And we've talked about um, the Mountain Meadows massacre crap. And we've talked about this is the place. Uh, but I, you know, we were talking about stuff, you know, the salt flats is really, it's quite historic. There's been a whole bunch of stuff that's happened there over the years. Um, it's a, it's a big part of the geography and the geology of the state of Utah. Um, and I think it just has a lot of significance. Well, it's also not just historically significant to Utah, um, because land speed records have been set there. Movies have been filmed there, um. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a significant place. So Yeah. Yep. So it all starts back in prehistoric times. So where we exist right now, where we're sitting. Would have been the bottom of a lake. Um, yeah. A yeah, very, very large. A very large lake. lake. So what what is now the Great Salt Lake uh, is that that is actually still the remnants of Lake Bonneville. So um, Utah Lake and Severe Lake are also remnants part, of yeah. that. And so... Uh, so Lake Bonneville itself stretched 
from southern Idaho all the way down to southern Utah. And, and didn't it even start as like a bigger lake at some point too? Like possibly. it's well, so the, there's a couple of interesting things about this lake. So it was from all the way in southern Idaho, all, all the way down to southern Utah, and also included a little bit of Nevada, um, the, the the Nevada desert, you know, basically the areas around Wendover. All of the Wasatch Front at one point was underwater. Now, one of the things that's really interesting to me about Lake Bonneville, and we'll get to the salt flats eventually, um, Lake Bonneville is relatively young. So when I talk about prehistoric times, when the dinosaurs were walking the planet, Lake Bonneville wasn't a Lake Bonneville, right? That is post-dinosaurs by yeah. a lot. Lake Bonneville's really got a couple hundred thousand years of, of history. Uh, and over that time, because it does not have a natural tributary out of the lake, um, it's grown and shrunk primarily from evaporation. And yeah, so rainfall, evaporation. That. And the ice ages have had some play in it. Um, but for the most part, this lake has existed. Um, the last major size of the lake, what we identify as the outline of the lake, was about 25,000 years ago. Yeah. Which in the history of the world that's, is fucking piss time. Like it's that's a, a little puddle. tiny amount of time, which actually has some significance because they're able to do a whole bunch of cool stuff. Like it's... It's a laboratory for them to be able to identify things. And another thing to note is Lake Bonneville was not a saltwater lake. No, not Bonneville was in, was freshwater. So it was all freshwater. It was a, a watering hole. It was it was ice cap with fish. ice cap runoff. Yeah, as the ice caps melted, it it was one of the areas that all this ice caps. So at one time, it was very pure, very clean. Well, we talk about Utah being literally being a basin, and it was it yeah, was a the, basin the great that contained basin. a lake. And it is cool when you see like down in you, see, you can see it really well down in southern Utah, the mountain. You can see the levels. As the Where lake the water receded, yeah. and it's it's amazing. So so St. George is a very much so a desert, but they find so many aquatic fossils, and that's because it was all the at one point part of the lake, bottom of a massive, lake. which is part of why it's such a cool thing scientifically to study. Now, like Bree said, it it uh, the Severe Lakes and Utah Lake are also remnants of of Lake Bonneville. They have tributaries in and out of them, and so they continue to flow even when there's, you know, really long periods of drought and stuff, um, and their water changes over, which is why their salinity doesn't exist like it does right. in the Great Salt Lake. The Great Salt Lake has tributaries flowing in, primarily the Bear River, uh, but it doesn't have anything coming out. Yep. And, it was, and so- It's it, only about 15,000 years ago is when it started to significantly shrink. And once again, in the timeline of the world, 15,000. That's nothing. Yeah, years well, ago is nothing. So it was about at its highest about twenty five thousand years ago, and one an event that actually occurred is when it hit that peak, it it was basically a flooded lake, and it was flooding into the Snake River, and um. So there's you'll hear sometimes when talking about Lake Bonneville, you'll hear about the Bonneville shoreline, and you'll hear about like the Provo shoreline, which is what they called the lake when it was at its highest prior to that actual event where it started emptying into the Snake River. And once it broke into the Snake River, it emptied fast. Like, mm-hmm. a huge amount of water just down the Snake River out to the ocean eventually. And it carved it in a, a relatively quick period of time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, in relatively quick, I would mean in a matter of years, most likely. Like, it was not, it was yeah. not slow. Because it was a giant lake that was flooding into a river, um, flooding the areas around the Snake River, um, depositing all sorts of stuff along the way, then obviously eventually emptying out into the Pacific Ocean. But um, so that's what's created this other kind of area like the Provo Basin and the the short the Provo shoreline. Um, and so if you hear us talk about those, I don't know how much those will come up, but if you hear about them, they're all part of originally the Great Salt Lake Basin, but they've that's why they're different. Um, so because evaporation has been the primary driver of the lake's lake shrinking over the years to now what is essentially the Great Salt Lake, um, some stuff occur and the lake becomes really salty. And as that evaporation occurs and the lake's really salty, um, there is, what do they call it, um, like the earth core compression or something. So essentially what happened was the lake's so big, it's over a thousand feet deep, 
and it's compressing the crust of the earth down pretty heavily. The weight, because that's yeah, a tremendous it's so, amount I mean, a thousand feet of water is absurd, like how much weight that is. So it's pressing the crust of the earth down, compacting it. Well, as everything starts to, you know, um, to, to recede, uh, and the lake eventually evaporates, the crust rises back up. And I can't remember what that's called, but part of that rising, um, has created some pretty unique characteristics in what is now the, the Great Salt Lake Basin, um, or, you know, the Bonneville Salt Or the flats. Salt Flats. Yeah. And it's not just by Bonneville, like the Bonneville Salt Flats are a specific area of the Salt Flats that are west of what is now the Great Salt Lake. They're basically over by Wendover uh, and Tooele. But there are other salt flats that have been created as a result of um, similar instances of lakes drying up. So now we get into some early exploration probably, right? So this is all... 10 to 25,000 years ago, roughly. So in more modern times, once expeditions start heading west, you know, obviously Native American tribes lived in the basins uh, for a long, long time. Um, but as we see the migration of colonists moving out west, uh, we see a lot of exploration happening. And we had uh, J.C. Fremont in 1843 who came out and recognized evidence that there was a prehistoric lake, essentially an old lake that used to be here that filled up most of what we know of Salt Lake, Salt Lake Valley. He was kind of able to theorize like, hey, this is probably where the shoreline was. Because like Jeremy said, I mean, especially even at that time, without all the buildings that exist here, you could see on right. the mountainsides the shoreline. You could see where you the water were really like, it, yeah, it. it etched it out. Um, there were some other explorers that came out here. Jim uh, Bridger, 1824. Yeah. Uh, we had actually one of the earliest that came out into this area was actually uh, Captain Bonneville himself. Right. Now, Captain Bonneville, they, they don't think he ever actually stepped foot where the salt flats were or inside the basin itself, but he sponsored a bunch of expeditions as well uh, into the area. But it was his expedition that proved that it was an ancient, ancient basin. That was Gilbert. Oh, was that Gilbert? That was Gilbert's expedition. So, and Gilbert's oh. the one that actually named the oh. area Lake Bonneville. After, uh, so yeah, Gilbert came out in the 1870s and then a little bit later as well. Um, and he did a bunch of studies specifically with like the U.S. Geological Survey at the time. And that's where they began proving a lot of the stuff that Fremont had said, right. which is, yeah, absolutely. This was a lake bed before. Like we and can see the fossils. We can see the. It's also worth mentioning with the Native Americans, they discovered Salt, which salt had been around, but different. They're the ones that discovered salt because of the salt flats and began processing their meat with salt. Doing the, salt here. So yeah, and, this salt. And it's important to know. So that's like curing. Exactly. For thousands and thousands of years in the world, salt was currency because salt is is a vital thing for the human body to take in. Uh, but also, in fact, like that's why our friend Brandy's baby ended up in the and in, in the NICU when he was born because of his salt levels. Like yeah. it's it's an important part it's of the, of our biological. Learning. And it was it was traded as currency, and wars were fought over it around the world for years and years and years. Well, in the fact, East India Trade Company salt was one of their main. Yeah, and salt mines. Mm -hmm. uh, like, there's a bunch of. It's actually cool if you look at like. You can find it on like Discovery or History Channel or something, but they've done series on salt mines under the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that also reminds me, um, Lake Bonneville was the size of Lake Michigan. Uh, right. when, when it was at full capacity, it was 20,000 square miles of lake, a thousand feet deep on average. That's wild. Especially to think now, like the Great Salt Lake is huge. You can see it from space. You can see it like on any map. You it's can really cool it when you, when you fly in because yeah, the salt flats are really cool to look at and then the water next to it. And there's like mirages caused by the way the, the light reflects because salt is a crystal and, and the heat that comes off of it because mm -hmm. it's in a high desert. But the Great Salt Lake itself now 36 feet deep on average. Just a puddle compared to which what is it so was. Sad. Which is weird. Like if you think about that, like, 1,960 feet difference in depth. Like, it's not even fathomable. We don't even have a building, I think, that's that tall in Salt Lake. Nope. And so our high-rises would have been underwater. Yeah. That's wild to think about. It's just a puddle compared to what it was. Yeah. So so anyway, so Gilbert comes out here in the 1870s, uh, and they do a whole bunch of stuff, and they're like, hey, 
this is really cool geology. Like there's some cool stuff going on here that we can study that we could, uh, and, um, it was in the early 1900s that someone decided, I think I could drive on this. Like, um, well, let's take a step back. 1914, I think. Well, that was the first land speed record. But let's let's take a step back actually before that because I think it's important to note with these expeditions. We talked about this when we talked about the Mountain Meadows Massacre, um, but specifically crossing the 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 Utah desert um, and, and in particular the Bonneville Salt Flat area is what caused the Donner Party's problem. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. this was called uh, this is was called what's the name of the crossing? Uh, oh, I can't remember. But but while he's looking at that, so the Donner Party did not pack enough water. And, you know, people don't think about it because you're looking at water and you're inland that this is going to be a salty body of water. And so yeah. they couldn't replenish anything here. And, and that's where you end up with the Donner Party trying to cross this land and not having enough water and oxen dying and leaving wagons behind well, and, and they, eating each other. And and with the Donner Party, like it's often said, they critically lost four wagon wheels. And that, that was what really yeah. fucked them because that delayed them to getting to the Sierra Nevadas. And that's why they ate each other. <laughs> what the so hell? the salt flats caused lots of death, but eventually they put uh, a railroad yeah. from here to San Francisco, I think it was. Yep. 1910, the Southern, Sp- Southern Pacific Railroad went from Salt Lake to San Francisco. So you could actually travel it and, and, and not have to fear for your life. And when we talked about our episode with uh, the salt air, that was also part of it. The railroad uh-huh. went uh-huh. salt air at the it time. It was a was stopping point. A major stopping point, but it went right through the salt flats. And something we haven't mentioned yet that, that people started looking at for these land speed records is you can see the curvature of the earth on the salt flats. Because yeah, they're so completely flat. And there, so there's nothing in the way. Long. Yeah, there's there's not vegetation because nothing really grows in salt. And, there, and there's, there's some no. outcroppings, but... There's no animals. Yeah, there's but there's no. stretches of, of of openness so far with nothing that if you stand in the right spot, you can see the curvature of the earth, which is really cool because there's not a lot of places in the world where you can do that. Um, and so people started thinking about, hey, can we drive on this? Like, what what can we do? And the so the salt crust that forms um is anywhere from a couple inches to a hundred plus feet deep of basically just salt um and uh and potash there's a lot of potash mixed in um but the that's one of the things that makes it so unique is because it's got such a thick layer of that structure it does remain so flat and vegetation free like Bree was saying um but that also makes it very fragile cuz in places yeah. where it's not very thick and you can see it if you drive out to Wendover on I-80. You can see the dipshits that have driven out on the fucking salt flats and ruined them because their tires are too much pressure, their cars are too heavy, and they fucking break up the salt. And it it's it's really kind of fucked up that they do it. It's important to note it's all BLM land. It's owned by the federal government. And it's protected by the Bureau of Land Management. It is not legal to drive out on that fucking salt. If you do it and you get caught, you will get arrested and fined. It's it, so so. Don't do that shit. You you really should be taking care of it. But one of the things that they discovered, and and post the railroad coming across, is because it was so flat. They're like, we can go really fast. That we don't have to build like we don't have to pave anything. We can go out on here. It's a smooth surface. It's flat. It goes for miles. And they got the idea to start doing some land speed records here. Now the Bonneville Salt Flats is not the only place we do land speed records. It, however, happens to be the best and the one where all the world records seem to be broken. And the coolest. Because there's one down in Nevada, the Black Rock something or other, mm-hmm. uh, that's also a land speed place. It's also another salt flat. Uh, but specifically, the Bonneville salt flats uh, are, they're just so massive. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's got a 10, it's got a 10 to 12 mile long, long, uninterrupted space. Um, and that's where they do all the land speed right. stuff. And, and the crust is particularly thick there, too, I think, is a part of it. Right. So 10 or 12 miles, absolutely dead straight and absolutely dead flat. And nothing to worry about running over or hitting. Uh, that's all. That, there's no rocks. There's no plants. There's no animals. There's it's very nothing. harsh living conditions. 
and so nothing lives there. Uh, but you can drive really fast on it. So the first land speed record was Teddy Tasloff, uh, and he actually raced the railroad, I believe. <laughs> 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 but he ended up breaking the first or setting the first world land speed record. Uh, and then, and so 1912 was the first, the very first motorsport that was conducted there. Conducted there. That doesn't mean they broke records that time, but 1912 is when they decided, hey, we should take Let's these, try this. Let's see what happens. These fangled cars that go 12 miles an hour. Let's take yeah. these out there and, and open I mean, these babies up. Now land speed records are like rocket cars. They have literal jet engines on the back of chassis, uh, and motorcycle speed records are broken there uh, at times throughout history. Um, and there still operates. The Bonneville Speedway is where you go to do those things, but it's all maintained and managed really so, well. So I've got a list of of the major records that oh, were yeah, set out there, them. and so so think about this nineteen. 19th... Oh yeah, by the way, Hastings cut off. Oh, that's Hastings what it was called. Off. That's what it was. That's what the Donner Party took. Yeah, the and Hastings fucked them cut over. Off. So September third, nineteen thirty five. Sir Malcolm Campbell from Great Britain is driving a Rolls Royce. He gets it up to three hundred one point one. Two nine wow. miles per hour so, in nineteen thirty. One thing to keep in mind: one of the tricks to the land speed records is not having your vehicle take off into the air, because at speeds that are that high, oftentimes your vehicle wants to start going up in the air. So, for all you folks out there um, that have like decorative spoilers and stuff on your car, like a legit spoiler is meant to keep your keep, you. keep your car on the ground. Yeah. So he's also the first person to break the 300-mile-per-hour barrier. Which is crazy. In a but car. At in 1935, that's pre-World mm. War II. That, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the cars that were around. That's, that's just barely coming out of the Great Depression. That's crazy. Yeah. 300 miles an hour. I would dare say most people in a, in a car have never been 300 miles an hour. Oh, hell no. Planes, yes, that's a whole different ballgame. But NASCAR no, drivers don't race at 300, 300 miles, an hour. miles an hour. So that is intense and insane. However, <coughs> that opened up the floodgates. So 1937. So, oh, in, in just comparison, the average NASCAR race, the cars are going 200 miles an hour. So, yeah, 19. It's going 50 plus percent faster than the cars. 1935, I mean, think about it. This is like prohibition time frame, jalopy cars. So to. Get a car. So it's like those, it's like black T, model A's, model T's, things like that. Like those <laughs> I, cars that used to have cranks on I them. I don't think that's the kind of car. No, but I'm just the, saying like, that's, that's the car. That's what car you're seeing. seeing. on the roads. And, and some of those cars still, you crank them. Yeah, still. they're brand new. Cars, cars have not been around that long. So, so, uh, 1937, George T. Eisen goes 311 miles an hour. The next year. 311. The next year, he goes... Amber is the color of his energy. <laughs> the next year, he goes 345 miles an hour, also in a Rolls Royce. Um, then John Cobbs, the same year, goes 350. And then George Tyson, the same year, goes 357. Wouldn't you be pissed if you were these people and you're like, I just went so fast. And then like a few months later... So you look at these, this 1938, it's George... Eisen, George Eisen, John Cobb, George Eisen, John Cobb, John Cobb. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's a couple of dudes really trying to outdo each other. And that's kind of how it went for a while. Uh, and then there's some breaks that took, that, that took place. So 35 is, is when you hit the 300. 1947, so 12 years later, is the first time they go over 400. But think about it. 1947. To go over 400 miles an hour in a car. Yeah, that's wild. So we're talking World War II time frame. So think about the cars of the time. Now realizing these aren't those cars. These are very specialized cars. But They're, they're specifically made to break speed records. But still 400 miles an hour in 1947. Yeah, there's not the trauma surgeon's going to bring you back to life, I think, when you uh, die from that. And then it's not until 1963... That that record is broken. And that's when they start strapping jet engines on cars, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So 1963, they go 407 miles an hour in the spirit of America, which that car, by the way, for the longest time was at the Capitol building. Yeah, it was. Down in the basement. And it looks more like a rocket than it does a car. Well, and that's kind of how most of these land speed cars were built because. Yeah, they're super pointy and make to be aerodynamic. 
Yep, they need the the aerodynamics to keep them on the ground and allow them to go really fast. Because the only resistance they're really getting on the salt flats is wind speed, like the wind resistance. Because the ground itself is not offering very much resistance. Right. So then it's uh, October 15th, 1964, that we break the 500 mile an hour. That's supersonic, by the way. And at this point, let's see. Yeah. So So in cars, do they make a sonic boom? Everything does. Yeah. So it was that. So to break the 400 mile an hour, it had a jet engine. So everything from this point on. I think the speed is 768 for the actual sonic boom. That's when you're actually super. That's Mach one. And and what that is is when you break when you are going faster than the speed of sound. And that's what that boom is that you hear is the barrier being broken. So then over the next couple of years, the Spirit of America gets modified. So 1965, it's the Spirit of America Sonic 1. It's uh, 555 miles an hour. Um, let's see. So then through the 60s into the 70s, uh, 1965, we pass the 600 mile an hour mark. Now you're faster than uh, commercial airplanes. Oh, yeah. I mean, most commercial airplanes fly around 350 miles an hour to 500? I don't know. Then um, they changed the rules. 1971, the first electric car goes 146. So now the electric cars are in their own category. Yeah. Um, 460 miles an hour to 570 is average airplane speed for yeah. commercial jets. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So then it's t- uh, 2001 is when the electric cars break the 400 mile an hour. Uh, let's see. And then as of right now, I think, let's see, I think the record is still... It's still from rocket cars, I think. In the six. I think it's still from the 19... Is that from the 1983 one or something like that? I can't remember. I think it's I the know. 1970. I mean, I, I think like that... In, I think there was a 1988, but I can't remember. I think that's all cool. Um, but I don't really care about line speed records too much. I just think it's really cool that we're pushing those barriers and almost all of them were from the salt flats. Yeah. And, and again, there were also motorcycle records that oh, yeah. are broken all the time out there. Um, for same thing. Those motorcycles are way, way crazy. Have you seen those? Oh, yeah, the they're, videos they're of those absurd. things? They're They're so fast too. Like and they're not like, I mean, obviously they're not your average motorcycle, no. but. They're yeah. Like, no one's racing, uh, you know, a big old Harley out there. They're like, they're like a, sp- speed bike but they're different in the way they're, they're more like bullet bullet bikes yeah and it's interesting um in talking about vehicles in particular because of the bonneville salt flats we actually have some pretty no notorious vehicles named after the bonneville salt flats so the pontiac bonneville which right. was a very popular pontiac car for a very very long time named after the bonneville salt flats uh, triumph motorcycles uh had a had a bonneville mm-hmm. um uh, and that was a pretty popular bike for a long time. Um, so it's, it's resulted in naming of a bunch of stuff. I mean, the Pontiac Bonneville was like a, that was like a namesake car for Pontiac for a long time. And that was their big kind of the, full sedan. Like when I was a kid, that was your, that was your grandpa's car. Yeah. That was the big midsize Pontiac. Like, that was like, that competed with a Cadillac as far as size, uh-huh. as far, it was like the affordable Cadillac. Yeah. It was GM's answer basically. It was the Bonneville. Yeah. Those yeah. things were as big as the salt flats themselves. And the, like the <laughs> Triumph Bonneville line was a pretty, Pretty uh, common line for the Triumph motorcycles. In fact, that line happens to still be in existence, I believe. I think so. I think they still make Bonneville motorcycles, Triumph does. So um, those are named specifically after our Bonneville salt flats. Do you have more land speed records to hit? So that's it for the records. If we're ready to switch gears slightly, I have movies. Yeah, movies and TV shows because it's not (laughs) just movies. There's been a lot. Uh, I'm going to start, I want to start with the most fam- what I think is probably one of the most famous ones, uh, that maybe people don't know was Bonneville Salt Flats. No, you can say it though. Star Wars episode eight? No. Oh, uh, that's although what you were going to say. That is, so Star Wars Last Jedi, uh, the scene, it's the whole planet where they're in the cave, uh, and it's the scene where there's all the red under Luke's feet and it's the flat that, 
that's Bonneville Salt Flats. That's where they film that stuff. Now, there is tons of CGI. Right. And when film companies go out there, they do have to pay a lot of respect to the damage they're doing, the areas they're in. They get all that stuff permitted because they take care of it. Um, well, and there's only certain areas. Yeah, there's that, only certain areas that are, that are, are able, you're able to do that. Uh, the, um, the Pirates of the Caribbean is the one that I think that is the coolest because they're that's there my, for a long time. That's one of my favorite. It's where he's dead. So he's in Davy Jones' locker, but he's pulling the boat along. Uh-huh. That's all the salt flats. And, and, uh, the part, the part of the reason I like that one and even the Star Wars one is it really shows off the the absolute amazing size and depth of the salt flats because both of those movies show a scene where you can see the mirages coming off of the salt flats. And what that is, is the heat, heat coming off of the desert floor of the salty floor, creating the actual wavy mirages. Those aren't special effects that they're doing. That is what it looks like when you stand out there in the summer. The vast nothingness. And it's so flat. And it's it's especially cool on the salt flats because like a sand are, are like crystals and stuff too, but like there's dirt and, mm-hmm. and stuff. It Salt is reflective. People forget that it's a crystal. And so it actually can give a mirage that you're in water. Yeah. And you can see like a lot of the chunks of the salt flats because they're so long and flat. You can see the earth drop off essentially the curvature yeah. of the earth where you cannot, you can see far enough that you can't actually see past it, that you're actually looking at atmosphere beyond. Mm-hmm. That's just a real, there's not a lot of places on this planet that you can do that. Uh, and, and especially in mountainous Utah. Right. So to you work. stupid fucking flat earthers out there. I know you listen to this show. that's proof that the earth isn't flat you can see the earth fall off on the salt flats you idiots go set up a couple laser levels 50 miles apart and you tell me that they fucking touch you dumbasses (laughs) i don't flat earthers i love how you're just like totally chastising them i was gonna make up a joke about them earlier too so but it is kind of cool because with the mountains i don't think people think of utah as being flat which a lot of our state is super flat. We just have a lot of mountains as well, yeah. which is stuff we've we've mentioned before with people and their their most fantastic thing about Utah is we have everything but the ocean here. Uh, also, um, Night Rider. A lot of Night Rider, <laughs> Night Rider. Filmed, here, filmed here. Um, but there's a lot more because it's pretty popular space to. So film. if we're talking popular. The, the newest John Wick 4 that isn't even out yet. Oh, yeah. Part of it was filmed out there. We'll have to see when the show comes out, what that is. Um, both, oh, what is it? Not War of the Worlds. Uh, Independence Days. Oh, yeah. So I that, forgot that, about Independence Days. That famous Day. scene where he's dragging the dead yeah. alien across That's the part desert. of the Salt Flats. That's on the Salt Flats. Yeah. It's so the, the first movie ever made out there was called The Salt Lake diversions in 1943 not a movie i've seen or even heard of um then there was a number of automobile movies i'm sure that had to do with all the races so fastest automobile in the world uh because yeah, a lot of movies back in the old days were like newsreels essentially yeah. white salt and sunshine all of these late 60s early 70s uh let's see plan 10 from outer space mm-hmm. the 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 space scenes whether I don't know, I don't, it's been a long time since I've seen that, but whatever plant, desert planet they're on, that was filmed out there. Uh, Con Air, I love Con Air. <laughs> so that's someone has to. So that section of Con Air, I like Con Air too. I don't love it, but I like Con when Air. they're out in the desert and when they do that, the, the crash landing out in the middle of nowhere, that's on the salt flats. Uh, and then in fact, the airport scene where the plane does take off from supposedly the prison yard, that's at the Wendover airport is where they filmed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Flat Earth. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Fucking idiots. The Amazing Race, the TV show, uh, still filming out there, but from 2001, it's they've used that as a filming yep. location. Uh, let's see. The World's Fastest Indian, Bonneville. Uh, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, Tracker, Gearhead. Top Gear was Top they have, Gear. They filmed some TV episodes series. of Top Gear out there. Uh, Hot Rod Pinups, the 2008 mm-hmm. version. 
<laughs> so lots of movies and TV shows. Um, you know, something else that we didn't talk about, uh, that I, that I forgot about. Uh, it's not just land speed records that are broke there. Uh, flight archery, which is basically the records of how far you can send an arrow. The, the flight oh, archery yeah. records have, have been achieved there. I think the current world record though, uh, was done in, uh, the salt flats near Smith Creek, Nevada. Also, I believe part of Lake Bonneville though. So different part of the salt flats, um, yeah. but also part of Lake Bonneville. The thing Bonneville. is with that area, there are days where there is zero airflow. Yeah. It's just, just nothing. No. There's, there's no trees. There's no mountains. It's just flat, high desert. So when they can get those days where there's no airflow to interfere, they can unleash an arrow and it just goes forever. Um, uh, nudes in the news, show number three sixty. No, we're off of movies, dude. <laughs> just because it said nudes doesn't mean we need to do more movies. There's tons of them out there. Uh, I will say, um, I want to go back to preserving it because I think that's a oh, really yeah. important part to talk about um, and a little bit about what happens. So it's not salt all year round. It's salty as shit. But in the winter in particularly, when we get snowfall, the salt flats also get snowfall. They don't not get snow because they're salt. They still get snow. The precipitation comes down and lands on them. If you've ever driven a windover, you see the big like puddles of water around the freeway. Um, and, and flying in, if you fly in that direction, you can see. Because they're see. part and they're relatively close to the current active part of the lake, um, they get wet. And basically what happens in the wintertime is the snow hits them. When the snow does melt, it seeps down into the soil a little bit, and it creates basically a weird, disgusting mud. Yeah. Once once it evaporates, it recrystallizes and reforms the crust. And so that's part of why over the years that crust stays so nice and smooth and flat yeah. is that precipitation. But what can happen if you go out there and fucking disturb it is you're going to break up all of the salt base that's in there and you're going to create these weird fucking craggy spots and that happens a lot. And that's what happens when you see all those fucking cars drive on it and ruin it. That's four wheel drive Jeep idiots. And there's also some talk of like potash being a part of that. And so there's actually some uh, potash mines and uh, the, the, um, the car racing folks have actually gotten together to see what they can do to help, um, keep the surface the way it is and keep the salt flats being what they are. So those pot ash mines actually had some um, overflow that, that goes through, they call them pot ash canals or whatever, and people were kayaking in them and they had to stop. <laughs> they had to stop the people because it, it forms this uniquely, bl- beautifully blue, tealy, bright blue water. But it's really fucking bad for you. Well, I mean, they 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 don't know how exactly toxic it is, but they don't want people to find out how, you know, <laughs> like, so they, they actually stopped the overflow, stopped people from doing that. But it looks really cool if you go out and it find some of the cool. pictures the because the water is insanely blue. Clear blue. Like it, it looks fake. It looks like somebody you know, touched up the photo. Um, but yeah, so people, people do really dumb things and they don't think about the repercussions that they're going to have on themselves, on the environment. It's, but it's kind of, yeah. So the Morton salt company is also out there. Yeah. They do salt mining out there and they have, there's a cut, they, they mine certain parts, but then they also do the flooding. So what they do is they have these massive fields. They pull the water in, they let the water drain out and then the natural, Salt crystals stay, and then that's what they scoop up. So that's mostly pellet, mm-hmm. uh, and then because they'll scoop it up, and then they'll put it into their pellet machines and make the pellets. Which is part of, by the way, why the salt flats in particular are part of why in Utah we salt our roads. Because there's a lot of other other mountain communities like Montana and Wyoming that don't salt roads. They sand, don't they? They use sand for for traction. We have a gigantic abundance of this resource, so we're able to salt our roads. Which why all of our cars are rusty, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to say. And if you actually go out, so the best way to see the salt flats, if you've never gone out and seen them, drive to Wendover. Just before Wendover, right right outside of the, the Bonneville Speedway. I think it's after you pass the funny tree. It is after you pass the it's funny tree. 10 miles out of Yeah, it's just right outside of Wendover. Um, if you, and everyone stops there pretty much, but there's a rest stop right outside of Wendover, about 10 miles, right by the Bonneville Speedway. 
but you can go out there, park at the rest stop. You can go walk out onto the salt flats there. It's an area that they have deemed that people should be able to go out. You can go walk out for a mile or two on the salt flats if you want. They even have a station back at the rest stop for you to wash your feet off, to wash the salt off Unless your feet. Unless you're my kid and then you just get back in the car oh and then you have like big chunks of salt in your car. But I actually saved some of them for like, so she has like... And that's when she took her Irish friend yeah, out, there. out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but so. it's really easy to get to. You just hop on I-80 and go west. You can't miss the rest stop. It's right before Wendover. And you can't miss the salt flats. Don't yeah. drive out onto <sighs> the not. salt flats. Do not do it. Just don't. Just don't fucking drive on them. Go to the rest stop. Go walk out on them so you can really experience it. There are views from the rest stop that are exactly what we're talking about where you can see so far and it's so flat that you can see the curvature of the earth. You just need to walk out onto the salt from the rest stop and you can see that stuff. It's really cool, but don't fuck up the salt flats. There are places where you can drive around if you really want to go out there. Go find one of the designated roads that you can drive on. the BLM on. has marked okay. Mm-hmm. But just, you don't really want you, to. You can actually, uh, I think, camp and stuff out there too. And there's guidelines and stuff for what you can do. Just, if you're going to be out on the salt flats and you're going to be doing things, be respectful of it. Follow the, the guidelines. Go to the BLM's website. Yep. They have all the details on yep. it. It's like 15,000 plus years to make. Don't ruin it with your stupid car. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that's going to do it for this week, folks. Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week and the week after, sort of. Um, and then we'll be back and you guys will have to listen to a whole episode of us talk about Hawaii. Probably. And I'll have a new last name. No, you won't. You're not going to change it yet. Well, no, I mean, but I'm going to start going by it at work. I asked my boss and he said I could. Uh, so anyway. Sweet. We'll have, uh, we'll have a whole bunch of stuff to talk to you guys about in a few weeks, but until then, you're going to have weekly episodes, so don't worry. Uh, share the episode. Uh, that's what helps us the most. Follow us at TNU Podcasts on all the social media platforms. Uh, we have various people working various platforms. Uh, and then... Um, I'm not one of them because I'm social media inept. You can go to thenewutah.com to check out the website. I'll have links to the BLM site and some other stuff. Uh, when I do my write-up for this particular episode. Um, and that's about it. I don't know if there's much else to say. Uh, we're going to really enjoy Hawaii. We're going to be married by the, the next time we talk to you. Be safe. Stay off the salt flats. 